0: Welcome to Single Serving Cinema with Tim and Tay, a podcast that looks at one critical scene in a movie every other week. We explore how the scene is constructed, what the scene achieves, and what it can tell us about the movie as a whole. I'm Tim. And I'm Tay. How's it going, film fans? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. i got a question for you, Tay. Oh, right off the bat, we're yeah. just going right into it. Mm-hmm. Eh? Why are you so obsessed with me?
1: <laughs> wow, you really
0: painted me in a corner with yeah. the question this week. I really, like, I do want to dive into that as being... Maybe one of the most cutting things you can say to another person who is your friend or who cares about you. Like, I don't know if you could, with like a writer's room or like, you know, a think tank, come up with a better way to completely undercut a relationship you have with another person.
1: Yeah, and this happens multiple times in our film for today.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if you don't know the quote already, and I don't know how you can't, it's been memed into a gif that's lasted for what, what are we looking at here? 15 years? I'm not right. yeah. one for meme culture, but I, even years. I know this one. Yeah, even politicians have used this one, which is embarrassing. But uh <laughs> we're talking about mean girls today, which is so fetch. It is. It is uh that <laughs> we haven't made that happen yet. I don't think anyone has. But again, another line that has No one should Yeah, another line that has been, you know, memed and has survived in the culture for a lot longer than you would expect for, you know, a teen movie from 2004.
1: Well, one of the biggest things we're going to talk about today as a whole, I think, is just why this movie has had its longevity, why it's endured for so long as this prominent teenage text that has transcended what it was initially and has become not only, like, very memetic, but also, like, kind of stands... For a, a past era of high school experience that I don't think
0: exists in the same way anymore. It's certainly a time capsule. I think that's um, probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great sort of touch point for a number, obviously, a number of styles, which we'll get into, but even the sound of the music. And and I'm sure the social structures. Like, I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't attend high school anymore. Thank God. Uh, I'm not a teacher. I don't, I don't really work in those settings, but I, I'm sure that in some ways the sort of, um, social norms have changed but I think at its core this movie addresses a very foundational part of the high school experience which is figuring out who you are Um, it doesn't address what I think is the fallacy in that which is that you still don't know who you are when you leave high school but you do have to sort of develop an identity I think that's all
1: well said there and just to get us all on even footing this was kind of a movie that for me like was somewhat representative of my high school experience I don't know about you
0: uh yeah, I mean it came out uh would have came out a year before I got into high school, so if nothing else it certainly would have um established an expectation because I this is a bit further back so it's harder for me, me to remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember the buzz about it being this is so accurate. This is what it's like. This is especially from um girls that I knew Or, um, you know, family members, people like that saying this is scarily accurate. And I think there's it's either it might be Mark Waters or it might be the author of the book that it's based on. But someone had said this is Mark Waters, the director of the film, by the way. Mm hmm. Um, this movie is easier for, or actually it was Faye who said this is more of a horror story for girls of that age because they're being exposed to what they have to deal with on a regular basis, whereas adults can find it funny because it's something you've gotten to escape. Right. With a bit of, uh, time and distance
1: from high school, it's a lot easier to digest some of what happens in this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but f- for me as well, you know, this, this movie came out two years before I went into high school, but I remember it being, kind of had the same kind of vibe with my friends a lot of my friends who were girls said that this was pretty representative of what they had to experience on a day-to-day basis uh, even leading up to high school mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. context of the early 2000s high school experience but why has this movie transcended what it was then and become still like the magnum
0: opus of high school films in the modern era um i don't i think it probably is it's obviously anything like this is going to be a combination of multiple factors but i think i do think you have that core nugget it's about figuring out who you are it's about developing an identity and then on top of that you have comedy uh which was i think coming into its own um you had this voice tina fey who wrote the script adapted it from the book um and tina fey's been a pretty uh one of the loudest voices of comedy over the past two decades, probably. Certainly, I'd say so. Like, 30 Rock is has a legacy of its own, and you can see a lot of the DNA of the comedy in 30 Rock being used here. So I think in establishing a voice that would then go on to have... Seven or eight seasons on TV and plenty of reruns and and further syndication on streaming platforms. And she wrote a book. Yep, yep, absolutely. And she starred in a number of movies. And and also you have it, it's produced by Lauren Michaels of SNL as well. So I think you have at least a mainstream comedy voice being developed and exposed to a wider audience here than Faye would have had prior to this, which is basically just um, Weekend Update on SNL and Second City in Chicago prior to that. So you have this comedy that is, I don't know, cutting edge is probably the wrong term, but just sort of at the beginning of its arc in terms of its accessibility. I I just know from even hearing the interview with uh, costume designer
1: Mary Jane Fort, Mm -hmm. she said that when she was working on this movie that she had no idea that this was going to be what it turned out to be. Like, no one on the cast or crew even knew
0: how big this movie was going to
1: be, obviously. Yeah. So...
0: What? I think I think other factors are are you have the introduction of a number of undeniable stars. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? That's You've got a good point. Rachel too. McAdams in her first movie, Amanda Seyfried in her first movie, both which are Canadians, so that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um and also Tina Fey in her first movie uh as well. Um so you have these really towering performances. You've got Lohan coming over from Freaky Friday, also directed by Mark Waters, sort of carrying momentum and and bringing the movie you know, some publicity and and a bigger stage to operate on. And I don't know how young our
1: audience really spans, but for anyone who doesn't know how big Lindsay Lohan was in the early 2000s, there was no one bigger, I don't think, as far as teenage stars go. I think, if not for a number of years, she was definitely, like, the top of the top for Mm -hmm. at least a year. Yeah. And that was saying something in a very competitive teenage female market at Mm -hmm. the time. I remember Hilary Duff was also really big. Amanda Bynes coming off the Family Channel stuff too was really big at the time. Julia Stiles even.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. There's definitely there's an industry of this type of personality and actor. And Lohan was. You're right. For it felt like a couple years. It could have been you know a single movie going season. It could have been a flash but in the pan. But it,
1: from my from my memory, it was yeah. a long time. She
0: was the most iconic one. She definitely. You know, it would definitely be easy to sell a movie like this if you had Lohan in the lead. And obviously, Mark Waters knew knew what he was getting from Freaky Friday, and apparently, Lohan was up for the the villain, the antagonist character in this That's too. right. But yeah. After After Freaky Friday, they were pretty sure audiences wouldn't accept her in that type of a role, so they made her the good guy, and then they opened up casting and they found Rachel McAdams, who from this went on to The Notebook, which really catapulted her into uh, into a big name as well. And Um,
1: as you, as if you've listened to some of our past episodes, you'll know that we are big Rachel McAdams mm -hmm. fans on this podcast. Uh, We have both suggested her enormous potential for comedy. And this is the movie that if you look back into her filmography, that really stands out as like a key moment of comedy in her career. Mm -hmm. um, That really flexes her chops and uh, really demonstrates her understanding of a very complex character, actually, in Regina George. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very locked in. Like it, it, it's a, it's an incredible debut performance uh, because it feels fully realized from the beginning. She does a lot of different stuff. There are, you know, there are multiple layers to when you are acting sympathetic or acting kind, but you're not. There's a layer of deceit underneath it or poison. um, Up to you know parts of the scene that we're going to talk about where she goes full blast uh, into revenge mode. But maybe before we get into all that. If anyone listening has somehow not seen this movie, either in preparation for listening to this episode, or you just missed it, if you're the wrong age, um, Mean Girls is about a a naive homeschooled junior named Katie. She attends high school in America for the first time, and she's quickly accepted into The Plastics, a clique of the highest strata. Uh, Katie soon falls for the ex-boyfriend of the clique's leader, Regina George, after Regina gets back with her ex, Katie and her friends, Janice and Damien, hatch a plot to take Regina down. Mean Girls stars Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams and was directed by Mark Waters. And first hit theaters April 30th, 2004. Uh, Canadians, um, fingers crossed, you can still find it on Netflix if you want to watch it right now. No telling if they're going to lose the rights to it in between us recording this and when it comes out. It tends to happen with recordings on the SSC podcast. I don't know. Yeah, we're keeners. We're too far ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, that's how that goes. But uh, Mean Girls had a budget of $17 million, A nice... You know, mid-range budget, the thing that we like to see, the thing that you see less and less, and it made $130 million in the box office Beautiful. worldwide.
1: Love to see it. Love to see a $17 million movie be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, by today's standards, this would probably be closer to like a $30 million movie with inflation, but these are our kinds of movies. These movies made in this kind of bracket, and I know from... Watching the commentary, Mean Girls. That obviously the producer, Lauren Michaels, and Tina Fey, who's also on the commentary, both say that this was a strapped movie. They did not have a lot of money to spare, and they cut a lot of corners to make it. Even though it really doesn't come off that way. And I think listening to a very privileged producer in Lauren Michaels uh, had a way of fatiguing me a bit because he's just he's very very
0: bland and uh, privileged in his position. I think. Yeah, definitely a, a businessman who's Pure in charge of, of one of the most, one of the loudest voices of comedy, I think is a good way to put it, right? Like SNL, your experience may vary, but uh, it's definitely high profile and has been high profile for a long time. And, and Lauren Michaels, I, I know what you mean, when you see him talking like, this guy is in charge of what a a a fair chunk of the of the the western world thinks is is political comedy or relevant comedy yes um and and he's just bland
1: he's a bland guy who sees the dollar signs and mm -hmm. is clearly good at what he does as a producer but yeah it's weird when you're watching mean girls and this guy is talking over the movie it just was strange i'd much rather hear tina fey and lindsey lohan go at it over this movie but uh lohan is not on the commentary unfortunately
0: yeah michael's definitely has a good eye for talent again as we said of course, um, yeah you've got rachel mcadams um and amanda amanda seyfried and lizzie kaplan actually in their first movie roles i forgot to mention her earlier yeah lizzie she, kaplan plays janice and she's fantastic very funny uh went on to do a bunch of other great work party down is a is a, is a very fun show as is uh, i saw at least a season or two of uh masters of sex her and michael sheen and uh she got a lot of range Um, and, uh, she's, she's a very critical role in this as sort of the antithesis of the plastics and, uh, and, and as sort of the, I don't know, the, the emotional heart between her and Damien as Katie's real friends in quotations, right? The people who first reach out to her and, and show her how, how the school works and things like that. There's definitely a little bit of condescension they enjoy, how little that she knows about, it, just like everyone that Katie meets. Yeah, that's something I want to talk about, too. But they also, you know, they they, they recognize her, I think. And they, you know, everybody gets used in this movie to a degree by people that, that shouldn't use them. But um, I think I think Lizzie Kaplan and uh, Daniel uh, Francis as Damien really perform a critical role in sort of Katie's environment. I think you gotta put some Italian mustard on that. Francese?
1: Francese, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know if anything we just said was correct and we're very sorry, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's great in this movie. I'm really bummed I haven't got to see him in anything mm-hmm. since
0: this. Yeah, he he definitely of all the like the iconic lines, he says the one that I refer to the most <laughs> and in my mind is the most is when someone is making themselves a part of something and they shouldn't I can just see it plays in my mind where he's he's in this all-girl assembly right because it's all the the junior girls (laughs) in the grade and then he comes to and he tries to hide himself by putting on sunglasses and tying up his hoodie but you know he's a foot and a half taller than everyone else in the room yeah and yeah and he, he yells out she doesn't even go here right which uh will uh i'm sure you just heard the clip it's uh it's iconic and it's classic uh, yeah
1: the quotability of this movie is there a more quotable movie out there
0: uh this is i would say this is easily in the top 10 anchorman may be oh, number yeah, one yeah, for yeah, our Anchorman's generation big. anchorman is sickening to think back about how many how many times i said lines from that movie and how many times other people around me just walked around in an echo chamber in high school just saying ron burgundy lines pretty much but uh no, this is I think this is definitely on the the Mount Rushmore for sort of our generation for quotable movies. To the extent again, I think that's part of the legacy is that they distilled these ideas down into these lines and they were performed by great actors, um, soon to be superstar actors in yeah. most cases. But I think you know that you've made it in terms of being a cultural touchstone when politicians start co-opting your stuff because politicians are inherently embarrassing they're civil servants who are this weird form of celebrity and you should never like them or want to do anything with them and they should stop getting you to try to like them by using cultural pop references but i mean hillary clinton used the why are you so obsessed with me gif to donald trump during the elections how'd that work out Oh I didn't it clearly didn't work for her. It probably gained her a certain form of social cachet on Twitter or whoever on her social media team was running it, but in the long run, it's very sad for me to think about that that's kind of thing that's happened. That's where we're at with the world. But but similarly, I mean, um other quotes, other other parts of this movie have been used in songs and other videos and references upon references from references. And again, it's something that you can still as a shorthand for an idea bring up today you can reference fetch you can say when someone's butting into a conversation you can say they don't even go here yeah right there are countless lines that will
1: continue to be i don't know used by pop culture for the foreseeable future and that's just that is the reward of making such a forward-thinking movie mm-hmm. especially from the early 2000s where in today's era a lot of those movies have kind of been canceled or re-examined as something that like in part doesn't work anymore yeah. mean girls for the most part could exist in this world today minus a couple words here and there
0: yeah i don't i don't think the culture of it has aged all that poorly fashion will always age that's of, just yeah of course that's how fashion. it always goes but i think the way that people talk things like that like if you're going to compare to you know what you might be able to call like bleeding edge teen culture in stuff like the the tv show euphoria um that that's a bit alien i'd say but also whether or not you consider euphoria to be realistic uh depends on where you come from but if you're gonna compare it to book smart things like that uh, or plan b another book smart type that came out just last year both of which are great i think you see a lot of the same things at play right like using needle drops more than score um relying on legitimately funny charismatic young actors who are relatively unknown to to carry your movie
1: um i I think there's a reflexive tone that this movie carries as well that i i have not seen plan b but Booksmart also kind of carried this sense of like awareness about it that it was aware that it was a movie that had comedy beats and it wasn't afraid to use uh components external from the movie so for example in mean girls there's like this external narration component mm-hmm. that works hand in hand with the script at all times so you have katie narrating and then it'll cut then the narration will cut out and the line in yeah. the sub in the text of the film operates in relation to the line in the narration on october 3rd he asked me okay. what day it was
0: it's october 3rd
1: and this kind of meta script writing is fairly forward thinking in terms of comedy. It's not like this was a revolution, but I think that's what makes it so digestible as well Mm -hmm. is that there, and like for the quotability like we already talked about.
0: Definitely. Like Um, it's
1: October 3rd, or on October 3rd, he asked me yeah. what date it was. Yeah. It's October 3rd.
0: Well, yeah, and like that became, at least for a while, I'm sure some people still still celebrate the day, but that became like Mean Girls Day online. Well, did right? you
1: see two of the videos I sent you were both released on October 3rd yeah. on YouTube? <laughs> and uh, some of the comments on all them were yeah. like, of course this is yeah. released on October 3rd. Yeah. Uh, look, once again, this just furthers the idea that there's like a literal date in the calendar that people can relate to Mean Girls, and mm. it's not even like the first day of school. It's October third.
0: It's not. Yeah, like that's actually one of the techniques I wanted to just sort of highlight before oh, yeah, we pop in. into the scene is that that may be one of the most graceful time lapses, for lack of a better term, or even uh, arguably like a like a little two part montage or three part montage is your script has critical stuff happening right at the beginning of the school year, and your next event is Halloween. So how are you going to get from there to there after you've done your work at the beginning of the school year, having her meet people and understand the cliques and all that? There are so many different ways you could do it. You could just throw on like a music track, you know, needle drop and show the leaves turn orange and people putting out pumpkins. There are a bunch of lazy ways to do it. And I really like that it's character focused. It's Katie is very much obsessed with this guy who sits in front of her in math class, Aaron, and... She passes the time by when they speak to one another. So on the one time he asks her what the date is, and that's October third, and then the other time he asks more a week later. Or, yeah. And she literally says and then two weeks later he asked me No, can, no, he says you could see there's rain pouring on the windows outside the set, and he goes, It's raining. And she goes, Yeah, it is. And it's the most like mundane thing, but like again, that's how you're passing the time. That's how you're counting the days. And once again a good comedy beat.
1: Two weeks later, we spoke again. It's raining. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is funny. It's funny too because like I don't know how intentional it was that like I don't think there's a lot going on with Aaron Samuels. Like he's he's good looking and like he's kind. And like I do like that like Regina's complaints about him are that like he cares about his mom in yeah. school. <laughs> yeah. Which is super funny. But there's also not a ton there. <laughs> right and I love that like there's there's the first person shot of him like from Katie's perspective at one point where I think he's doing like the actor is doing a dumb smile he's not doing like a like give us a nice smile like there's a there's a quality to it like I don't know I'll, I'll link to a still in the okay. in the show notes I don't know if maybe I'm reading into it but I think like the actor is putting on a bit of cheese and being like this isn't even a good smile like it's kind of it's kind of doofy. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's very funny that I don't think they needed to get too deep into Aaron Samuels or, or really any of the male characters.
1: Well, right. I I think on the subject of Aaron Samuels, first of all, I looked him up on IMDb before our chat today, and he has done very like almost nothing. Yeah, he except has for Mean Girls. Lot. Yeah, and I know from just listening to the commentary that they casted him because he was very handsome mm-hmm. and Tina Fey is not ashamed to, like, call a a much younger man, like, very attractive. And uh, she said, we cast him for his looks, and we cast him because we needed someone who could literally convey that Katie would be, like, would lose track of everything else in her life by looking because of the way this man looks. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? Like, he's not the most stylish hunk I've ever seen in a high school movie, but he does capture that aura of, like, the guy who is just, like, too good-looking to, like, pay attention to anything else. Mm. And I think a lot of this actually comes down to the cinematography, too. Yeah. The single perspective shots where it's, like, mm. a POV shot looking at someone right in the face. This is used really frequently throughout
0: the film. And in a couple of different ways. In yeah. a lot of different ways, which is, yeah. Which is neat for, for being the, the same type of shot. Like, I love the sequence where they're introducing Regina. And yeah. you get the... Almost like heads-up interviews with a whole bunch of people in the school, from the students to Tim Meadows, right? Which is really funny. Like, when he pops into the interviews, that kills me. I hear Regina George is dating Aaron Samuels again. The two were seen canoodling at Chris Iso's Halloween party, and they've been inseparable ever since. Tim Meadows it will always be funny, and I, like I love him to death. And, like, there's not a lot of lines in this where he has a strictly comedic line. But he's still making me laugh most of the time. Now,
1: I did hear on the note, and I know we're jumping from side topic to Mm -hmm. side topic now, but Tim Meadows was actually, like, didn't want to play this role comedically. And that was actually the direction.
0: That's the thing. Like, I don't think he's putting a lot of, like, juice into what he's doing. I think I find him naturally funny. But apparently
1: like he wasn't even he didn't want to smile in some of the scenes mm-hmm. where he like kind of has like this like apprehensive smile as he backs away from like the drama <laughs> yeah. a couple times. But apparently like that was like not what he wanted to do with the character. Yeah. He he saw it as like a more dramatic thing that he needed to be serious about. I think but I no, mean I think he the sells the, the beats
0: when like he's being totally. a disciplinarian and things like that and I love like the but sequence is- in the riot where like he realizes he's like he's a public educator and he he doesn't deserve this and just and just like uh, you know calls the whole thing and gets everyone away and then immediately realizes he also cannot like lead a moment of healing for young women and and allows Tina Faye to, to yeah. sort of do that. It's pretty I think brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. But to jump back to these first person perspectives, like you have that we have it in our scene as well. Yeah. Um, which I think does a lot to place the audience into these very uncomfortable roles and mm. also also telegraph people in positions of superiority and inferiority within a yeah, given scene in terms of their power sure dynamic and their their morality and who's correct. Um and that that's a number of things like I did want to talk briefly on the cinematography before we dive in. I'd say that yeah. one, maybe the most dated thing uh, if, in the production is how warm the color palette is. It's a very golden movie Ye- which
1: is really from this early 2000s era like this looks like freaky friday looks Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I don't know the the exact
0: demarcation point but you really did get to a point where i think people's definition of a cinematic look became fewer close-ups more negative space and more desaturated especially and colder colder values colder and but the desaturation
1: i think is the big is the big aesthetic point you mm-hmm. made there
0: um and this movie
1: looks a lot more like television did yeah from, of or maybe like like what television did a few years after this maybe mm-hmm. this is like the look that television then took on as movies began to develop yeah. and
0: evolve well, and this, past this and this is great because i was actually i was talking about this with um rob our guest from the shin godzilla uh episode rob if you're listening i know we, we are going to address this is we were talking about how like a lot of people now are starting to have this conversation about whether or not current tv shows which have become highly cinematic and have budgets that far exceed movies in some cases what defines the tv look and what doesn't and one of the examples that i had heard was when jj abrams did mission possible 3 he was coming off felicity and alias and lost and he shot it a lot like a tv show right there were more close-ups so i think the close-up is one part of that i think that goes with like the shooting with multiple cameras versus one camera Mm -hmm. right and and keeping coverage. coverage, but you always have one on the person who you're focusing on for that one. And then, I mean, I also I just think the the saturation and the warmness uh, is definitely endemic to the period. Uh, that, that we're working in yes. That mid-aughts But I think it also lends itself to the movie Where colors are pretty important in terms of costume I, I right? do, And hair I was gonna colors say that especially
1: that too. I do I do not think this is a knock Even though mm-hmm. at times the movie is a little sickening To look at because of all the Bright warm colors happening yeah. At the same time But I do think that it serves a purpose Yeah, A lot of the movie kind of acts As like a fantasy or two there are, like, uh, surreal elements and mm-hmm. almost, like, fantastical components to, like, the real-life scenario of high mm-hmm. school. And I think the blown-out colors that kind of, like, are, well, the, that are way oversaturated kind of add to that surrealist effect.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's a number of techniques at play here to call out the intensity of the teen experience. Yes. A lot of it is is close-ups. Things are in your face, right? Especially if you're having a conflict with a with another person right the 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 shot reverse shot they're very close right and there's there's some of the other person's shoulder and the side of their head in it but you're you feel more exposed i think and also you end up you get some of these first person or just off of first person shots that make you feel what it is like to be in this kind of a conflict and then yeah the color the colors and the especially when you go into those like this is like a watering hole metaphor, things like that. Right, and the yeah. lighting becomes even more intense, I think, is all lends itself to it. Yeah, there's I wanna discuss this all more in detail, but we do need to kind we, of get we to our We do need scene. to get to our scene. I did I I had a bunch more to talk about on the whole for the movie, but we should we should move on. We don't have to we can leave some on the table. Yeah, we'll <laughs> leave some for someone else to discuss. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us about the scene today?
1: Okay. Well, you and I both came at the scene starting at different points, but I'll go with like our extended version of the scene. Uh, we are going to talk about Katie's big party scene. There is a little bit that's worth discussing at the beginning of the scene, so I am going to include that. But for the most part, we're talking about the end of the scene today. Uh, the scene in question starts at 55.38 and goes to 1 hour and 3 minutes and 18 seconds into the film. So it's about an 8 minute scene, 7 and a half minutes-ish. After securing her position as the new Queen Bee, Katie plans a small get-together while her parents are out of town in hopes of locking down Regina's ex, Aaron Samuels. A full-blown party ensues, and lines are crossed as she has her moment with Aaron, is forced to face her excluded friends, and truly sends Regina over the edge by not inviting her, resulting in a high school crisis for the ages.
0: Yeah, so this is a I think this is a great sequence to look at because it shows a lot of the just desserts that are going to be going to be earned by what people are doing in this movie
1: once again this is an end of the second act kind of scene that leads us into the confrontations that that occur in the third act. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i i do think like you know generally we don't always want to pick these more pivotal scenes but i also think there's a lot in the third act i I actually think this is one of the better third acts yeah Um, this is a good third act it's very very well written it is very graceful in a number of the things that it does in, in terms of trying to resolve this stuff and how the school can resolve stuff, but Katie doesn't. It takes her longer. So there's there's a lot there. I don't think we're robbing this movie of of a single high dramatic point by, by talking about this here. But in this scene, you do have you have Katie basically she has all the all the parts of her plan have fallen into place. Essentially the plan that she originally started with Janice and Damien and then sort of left them left them behind as she continued it even further but by throwing this party she's supposed to get Aaron as, as a boyfriend and solidify herself as the you know the the pinnacle of the social sphere in this high school and it all kind of reverse fires on her yeah so I'm not really
1: sure when this massive transformation takes place I mean not to say that the movie doesn't really give you a heads up that Katie's mindset is like rapidly changing to become more self-obsessed uh and less aware of her friends but the fact that she like completely discards janice who has an art show on the same night mm-hmm. that seemed to come out of nowhere for me that she was like just willing to like drop that completely out even to even if it was like a superficial thing like oh i'll just go and show face and then i'll like leave and go to my party kind of thing yeah. Uh, that would be more in the character of Katie because she's at the point where she's still establishing how malicious she is. Mm-hmm. Whereas this just comes out of nowhere that she'd be so cold and to like completely forget about Janice's thing. But then again, it does really put it in perspective where she's at in terms of what she prioritizes with the plastics. Yeah. She has just realized that Gretchen and Karen are going to follow her now. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene literally right before the party. And now that she is aware that she is the Queen Bee... All the power seems to just instantly gone to her head, and she does just drops everything. So she mm. forgoes the trip with her parents that she was ex-
0: apparently excited about at one point. That was the plan originally, and that's why she couldn't go to Janice's uh, art show. Right. But then it very quickly, when it when she I think realizes the social power she has available to her, when the original plan was to just take down Regina George, and then that vacuum, Gretchen and and um, Karen, Gretchen and Karen immediately sort of move move Katie into it. And then I think she realizes, like, oh, I can I can, I can, can have a party. I can have this kind of control and power, and I can get Aaron. Um, yeah. But what she seriously misjudges is how hard
1: it is to execute all of these things mm-hmm. according to a very specific plan that was, like, so perfect in her head. Yeah. So having a small get-together turns into a massive party. Obviously, she's never thrown a party because she's never been left at home alone with her parents mm-hmm. gone. So this is all just uh stressor after stressor after stressor for katie and the night just gets worse and
0: worse and worse yeah like just show how unprepared she is like she she says i got cheese and crackers for eight people do you think that'll be enough (laughs) and once again this is where the narration
1: (laughs) takes over and said it was not enough okay so i got enough cheese and crackers for eight people do you think that's enough Yeah. yeah oh yeah It was not enough. Yeah. As the party exploded. Mm -hmm. um, Once again, this shows her naivete. This is her first, like literally her first day as the Queen Bee, and she's already in way over her head, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep up with all the different parts of drama that she has created, Both er, now with Aaron, with Regina, Mm -hmm. and with Damien and Janice, all separate parties who are all upset with her
0: based on her actions on this one day. In her in her queen bee debut though, she does pull the look off.
1: Yes, she does. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a kind of like what starts the scene is she walks down the stairs in this strapless dress that is mostly black but with a pink stripe down. It's a the classic middle.
0: high school trope is the walk down the stairs reveal debut. That's right. Yeah.
1: Even though I thought you were supposed to uh, not buy a skirt unless you asked your friends if it was okay first
0: yeah that's the thing it's a it's a big leap but maybe that's sort of you know throwing your weight around as the leader right right right, because
1: regina george didn't always follow her own rules either um and there are all these rules established by the plastics early on one of them of course gretchen highlights early is that if you want to buy a skirt new skirt you have to ask your friend first Mm -hmm. um not that that's even brought up past this point but it is interesting as katie comes down wearing this new skirt and uh, both gretchen and karen compliment her highly on it
0: is a full dress i don't know oh right i don't know it's a strapless at what point this is splitting hairs but yeah right yeah we're two dudes talking about women's fashion here cut us a bit of slack what, what we can speak to is the the intentional color theory at play here right you want to dive in that well, yeah, so um, a lot a lot of things that, I don't know, may, might seem subtle if you're not paying attention to it, if you're not paying attention to clothes that much, but there's a lot of info and analysis out there, both directly from the costume designer, Mary Jane Fort, and also a uh, third-party analysis, movie analysis channel called Modern Girls, um, talking about how very intentional they are in how costuming and and style choices change for katie as she first shows up and she has no no real distinct style it's very masculine and then slowly like very i'd say very um methodically takes on the colors and then the styles and then the jewelry and then the hairstyle of the plastics and and at a certain point around this point in the movie starts to co-op things that are specifically regina style choices like hoop earrings which Regina wears, and Gretchen has been told she cannot wear. That's right. And then also, this dress is an inverse of the colors and almost the same design. Like it's strapless as well. Yeah. Um, Regina's has a horizontal black sort of like belt stripe. And this um, is
1: the dress that Regina was trying on for the spring fling, mm-hmm. but didn't end up getting because it didn't fit her.
0: Yeah, but she does wear it later with her halo on. It. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of very intentional things at play here to to underline how these power dynamics are shifting and also of course this ever fluctuating sense of self that katie has
1: yeah this really marks the point in katie's character where she has forgone everything that she valued in terms Mm -hmm. of friend and family for what she thinks is the shortest path to success and popularity which is aesthetics and dressing a certain way Mm -hmm. Um, it's clear that this is what she now sees as the as the best way to get to that point is actually
0: just the way she dresses now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a realization of the power available to you. And if wielding that power can get you the boyfriend you want and the social clout you want, then, then why not? And I think it all refers to, I think a, a somewhat unspoken theme of this movie. They don't ever really say it on the, like hit the nail on the head. And I think that's a good thing is that you shouldn't let others determine who you should be in high school. That's really the key to success. Um, in in retrospect obviously uh, you always sort of learn that afterwards but you know Katie allows Janice and Damien to sort of push her into a role and then use her for a scheme because Janice has a has a vendetta against Regina for very good reason. Um, yeah maybe that's and then something the plastics we can... turn it around right
1: it, but that's you're you're absolutely right in bringing that up as well because Janice and Damien are equally vindictive and yep. dead set on ruining someone else's mm-hmm. life just like Regina George's yeah. to
0: them and I, I think I think there are some more reasonable limits at play like I do like earlier in the maybe 20 30 minutes before the scene you get parts where Katie's momentum in trying to take down Regina and trying to become more of a plastic exceeds what Janice and Damien were were had planned right True. Like, to the to the to the extent where they they really they start not seeing eye to eye with her on things she starts the 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 personality and the trappings of being a plastic sort sort of infects their conversations and, well like
1: the word vomiting like she's yeah saying.
0: absolutely and uh you know again like she doesn't go to janice's art show but she also she uses inside jokes between janice and damien in the burn book she starts blowing them off around the school things like that so i, I do think there are limits at play but i, th- I think it's a v- totally valid thing to say that Jazz and Damien are another lesser side of the same coin. Yeah, and, and again, what Katie should be working towards is is some form of self actualization and determining her own her own personality, which is again by the end of the movie, it's established in what she's wearing and in how it is. There are aspects of the plastic still at play, but there's still aspects of her more comfortable style, wearing jeans from the beginning.
1: And maybe this is too big of a question to bring up in the midst of our scene discussion, but how much of a victim is Katie in this movie to the
0: pressures
1: of being popular? Because she's thrust into two roles almost simultaneously upon arriving at her first ever school, because she's been homeschooled her whole life. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't know what any of this world is, and two worlds quickly collide upon her. The art... Mm -hmm the artsy kids who want to take revenge on the popular kids and the popular kids who are just vindictive in general. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of told that all these things are the way you should be if you want friends. And so how much is this her problem? How much is this like her mess? Obviously this is the scene that kind of all comes to a head. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think, you know, if this movie or if any high school movie is an examination of power, one of the core tenets of that will be is, you know, power corrupts. You, the, those without power act like they don't want it or that they don't need it, right? Like Janice Right. The Janice re- hard in the other direction, right? After she, she falls out with Regina George and has a completely different style and things like that. It's very well-coded. Um, but still, like, the moment that they realize they could have power, they could affect change, it's not for good reasons. Right. Right. So I think they're all victims to an extent they all wield power to different extents you could definitely develop a hierarchy i think if you wanted to say who was worse than others but i think in 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 high school in a high school social setting no one is good
1: well the way janice phrases it at the towards the tail end of our scene that we're discussing she suggests that katie is worse Mm -hmm. than both her and regina because she doesn't even know that she's being mean yeah
0: yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing, being so swept up, and, and I think maybe the unique setting under which Katie comes from another country and, and always being homeschooled, is that much more volatile for her and that much more intoxicating.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot to keep in your head, right? You have to keep these people happy, these people happy, and you almost forget that there's like a whole other component, which is yourself sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, and you have to, you know, you chase your own desires, mm-hmm. and at what cost, and at the cost of who, and and things like that. There's a lot... I don't. I don't think there's any perfect answer. I don't want to ever make it sound like I'm saying everyone's victims, even the bullies and stuff like that. Oh yeah, we're not saying that. Everyone is a part of this structure. Everyone is subject to an immense amount of pressure at that age when I don't think you have a lot of tools for dealing with it. Uh, Your your body's undergoing a form of chemical warfare, and uh, (laughs) and you're dealing with a lot of social pressure every day. So I think I think this movie recognizes how difficult it is. That's something that I,
1: I know that Tina Fey wanted to highlight, and I know that the original author of the uh, of the original text, uh, Rosalind Wiseman, who mm-hmm. wrote the book Queen Bees and Wannabes, uh, which is a nonfiction book that this movie was based on, actually, they both saw that as the core of this film, which is actually exploring the complexities of people. Of young people in high school environments. It wasn't so much to suggest an, a sense of evil or to say that some students are bad, some students are good. It's just to explore the complex relationships that are forced upon each of these people by the pressures created by the environment.
0: Yeah, and I think you know that, that fits into the long legacy of teen movies like John Hughes movies and things like that where you're recognizing just how difficult it can be. But there's a meaner streak to this movie. It's much meaner, and I think it's also much more relatable, maybe because I grew right. up at the right time with it as compared to, you know, Breakfast Club, where you have way more clear archetypes and also like a lot of like family trauma from home, other things being factored in. This is focused a lot on just what happens in the school and what one person can do to another person. And it doesn't I love that they're they give you tons of context for the types of homes these people come from and the settings the the examples that their parents set but it's far less about you know Judd Nelson and and what he's dealing with at home <laughs> as compared to what people do to each other at school when when they when they want something or they want to seem cool um in terms of that maybe we can we can focus a little bit more directly on what I what I think is the the best part of this sequence is um Katie has just sort of vomited on Aaron Samuels after trying to get with him and, and try to lock him down. And uh, and he takes off, rightfully. And as she comes outside, Damien drives up with Janice standing through the sunroof, realizing that Katie had just thrown a party instead of coming to her art show. And she calls her out. And basically a lot of stuff that had been sort of um, building to this point after over the last couple scenes between them comes out, where they realize that Katie is no longer pretending to be a plastic in order to take down regina george she's just simply become one
1: and lizzie kaplan does a great job at delivering these lines Mm -hmm. in this moment because it is just full of like this scene is stressful to watch in so many ways because you're coming at it from katie's perspective the movie does a really good job of keeping you kind of locked in with her throughout Mm -hmm. some of the party where she's looking around for aaron for so long Mm -hmm. she's just exasperated by this point Mm -hmm. and now she's already puked on him and then as soon as she goes out of the house to chase him, she is berated by her what the people who were her two best friends, mm-hmm. maybe her two only friends in the school. And there's like this level of humor in the scene as well, which the movie does really well throughout. There's humor sprinkled throughout the dramatic moments, which just creates a perfect tone
0: most of the yeah. time. There's a great balance of comedy and drama at play right here. And it's achieved by this genius idea where Damien cannot stop moving the car that he's driving because he has a curfew and he's past curfew. So he's driving around this cul-de-sac that Katie lives in while Katie and Janice have their argument. And it, it, establishes some tension and some uneasiness and it makes for an interesting filming. Like we've talked about so many times, there is an obvious way you can film something and then you can try a little harder and find a different way to do it. And I can't think of a, another example of this specific type of thing where they're like, we'll just keep it moving. While we have a pivotal argument, like the, 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 the main interaction between Janice and Katie for the whole movie, it's going to happen. Well, Janice is up, standing through the sunroof, and Katie is down on the sidewalk. So you get, you, you get a lot of Katie's perspective looking up at Janice. Janice is, has moral super, superiority. Definitely. And she has more power in that argument. She has more evidence to fit her point of view. And then Janice looking down at Katie, too, and you see Katie is, is made to be inferior. So I think there's a lot of really powerful camera techniques at play.
1: Yeah, both POV shots no. are, are really well done. Yeah. They, and like you just touched on, Tim, this is
0: a scene that you could see being shot in a very plain, boring way. With uh, You've seen it with, in other movies where yeah. Janice bursts into the party and calls katie out in front of the whole the whole school which certainly is exposing and has power but this is so much more interesting yeah and it's more intimate in a way too because it's just the three of them
1: well it's personal because damien is always like at sometimes i think he's relegated a little too much to the sidelines when it's the three of them in a scene but this is truly janice's moment with katie and then you just still have Damien as like her sidekick, who's like driving the car, who's still sprinkling in a bit of humor.
0: Yeah, he keeps having a reminder that like this car's not stopping. My curfew's eleven. It's eleven ten, and and he establishes <laughs> all that though, but that allowed that gives you a baseline to then divert from.
1: It's like that whole Hitchcock thing. You you tell the audience there's a bomb mm. under the table.
0: Well, yeah, you tell you add stress where it's like this conversation has to happen. But it only has so long to happen that car will not stop moving. And then it does, which lends weight to why it stops moving. You know what? It's not my fault you're like in love with me or something. What? Oh no, she did not exactly because you
1: really don't think the car is going to stop mm-hmm. damien is like now said it a few times in between yeah. <laughs> the argument between uh janice and katie but when he finally does stop it's because of the line
0: it's because of katie's version of the why are you so obsessed with me which i think is it's more um it's like you're in love with me or something which again it's it's such a cutting thing to say to a person who's your friend like someone who's cares about you who has been checking in on you who has been touching base with you or or expecting you to hold up your end of commitments and things like that Mm -hmm. to then suggest that their interest and their care for you is actually something wrong is yeah so it drills to the core of of like uh the the spirit of a friendship or something it's very it's a huge betrayal to say something like that it's very disgusting
1: well, I think it's even more undercutting because of Janice's past. Um, her past with Regina, mm-hmm. uh, as friends, ended because Regina started a rumor that Janice was homosexual, mm-hmm. and Janice has planned plotted all this revenge based on that ruining her social status. Yeah, uh, it's unclear if she is or not actually, but she uh, appears to at least be like she, she has a boyfriend at the end of the yeah. movie. Um, but point is that Katie knows that Regina has targeted her for this but has not actually even admitted that to Janice yet in mm-hmm. in face-to-face. And Janice has obviously been hiding this from Katie as somewhat of an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this all comes out in this moment is what causes Damien to stop the car in, abruptly. And, you know, we have like the nice brake screech, and then, oh, no, she didn't.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful moment. It's a, off of what seems deceptively simple, but the idea of knowing to direct that scene by establishing this scene is always going to move when it when it's not moving anymore you know another line has been crossed we have reached a new level of drama it's very effective
1: just as a side note too they said in the commentary that they had to search pretty far and wide for this cul-de-sac specifically yeah <laughs> because I, I, it's I was, all re- for real the shot yeah i was watching
0: and I'm like I wonder how many times you're just going in a circle around this thing because you have to you have to get Lizzie Kaplan. You got to give her however many number it takes you need, and then you got to go down and you got to get Lindsay Lohan. and Then you got to get all the wide shots to have Damien. Yeah, it's five camera angles. I want to say. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it, it's a very powerful conflict between the two, and and I, I love the way that they that that it is directed. I think it's a uh, it's very effective. And then at the same time, you get to cut over to Regina, and you have the fallout of I'd say her arc so far. Yeah. As, you know, it was a three-pronged scheme to take her down. It was to get Gretchen and Karen to stop following her. It was to ruin her her look and to take away her boyfriend. And the way that they had figured out they could ruin her look is by getting her to eat these Swedish bars that are high-calorie bars meant to help you gain weight. But they just tell her they're to help you lose weight. Yeah. So it's a big betrayal. They arguably poison her yeah you know, it's sabotaging someone's aesthetic yeah. appearance, yeah. And I mean, again, I love how the scene plays out. It's very funny because Regina George is the villain. It's it, generally the villain, so it's easy to be funny. But she goes back to her car after after the party where she went in to confront Katie with Whoa. her current boyfriend. What's Shane, his name? He's got Shane a... Oman Shane Oman, who I recognize I think he's one of the other pilots in Pacific Rim, okay. I think he's <laughs> I think he might be the okay. brother in the very beginning. I think he might be. I, charlie hunman which is shane omen and charlie hunman um i think he's his brother oh no (laughs) because i haven't seen anything else but he looked familiar he he kind of honestly for snl he kind of has a beck bennett look but obviously beck bennett would be far too young at the moment but i think he's very funny um like they're going back to the car and he's saying things like slow down hun and stuff like that like he has a very just like you know he's the guy that she cheated on Aaron with. Like he's just a he's a crappy dude, and there's no reason to like him. But he ends up pointing out that the Calteen bars she's eating are high calorie and they make you gain weight like crazy. You get these close ups on Rachel McAdams where she, her teeth are covered in this chocolate. Yeah, and she's so, realizing it's what's gross. what's been done to her, <laughs> and then she just starts screaming. And she, you know Shane O'Man has a great little cut where he it's so he's funny. he's like scared and he just runs away <laughs> from his screaming girlfriend and then the scream the audio carries over to cut you from the street to Regina's house where she she immediately formulates a brilliant act of revenge by um writing herself into the burn book this book that they've made insulting or or highlighting very embarrassing stories of all the other girls in their grade
1: yeah also like just a great prop i should add yeah um, something that you see throughout the movie it's built up mm-hmm. like there are lots of there's lots of good foreshadowing throughout the film but yeah. the burn book being what it is it's like instantly recognizable as something from this era of high school yeah. life and something it's, pink, that, it's plush yeah yeah like it's it's everything that you'd expect the burn book to be
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah so they they carry over from outside Katie's house to Regina's house, and just basically every time they cut, the scream continues, but it'll change pitch. Right, so, so it's not like screaming. one big long. It's just like she's still screaming. You're in between breaths, and the pitch change is very funny. It's it's just like naturally comedic as she gathers the art supplies to to to. to to make her own page in the burn book. Apparently all her scream, by the way, that was all Rachel McAdams for real. I'm yeah, surprised all. I love like the shot of her walking into the room and like smashing her lamp yeah. and stuff. Great presence, great energy. It's so funny to it's me. It's very funny. It's and because of the scream
1: though. It's not like, yeah. you're not laughing at Regina George, who's like miserable at this point. It's it's the scream. and you're the editing the of reaction. the reaction.
0: It's, it's a big reaction, right? Yeah. It's I know it's, it's a huge betrayal and your you know, your, your, your body has been affected, but I, it's super funny, and then the screaming stops when she she starts speaking out loud what she's writing about what you assume is Katie, uh, and then you find out there's a. I love the shot where it's on her eyes as she lifts up her her magnum opus, and and the book Another comes one into like frame like too. Tight
1: POV or tight, not POV, but tight close up shot. Yeah, on and the face.
0: just like there's this great manic energy in Rachel McAdams' face where she she looks upon her work before. And then it like it cuts directly to her showing it to Tim Meadows' character, but uh, it's it's very very seamless between these these parts of the sequence. You could argue whether or not it actually involves the prior scene. I think we're we're talking about it all because again, it is sort of the fallout of the scheme and how it reaps consequences for Katie and it reaps consequences for Janice and Damien and for Regina, like and I mean Aaron too a little bit, but you know,
1: yeah, our our okay. restrictions on what compiles a scene they're pretty loose if you haven't noticed that about we'll us do so what far. we want we will do what we want uh, and these two scenes kind of connect together to form like this end of the second act like we've already said that really put everybody into a different corner going into the third act which is really an interesting setup you literally have everyone mad at katie uh going into the third act mm-hmm. literally everybody yep
0: yeah it's a it's a very important obviously the end of the second act will always be important, but I think this is particularly well done and in doing so, it develops a really strong third act and third acts are almost always bar none the the hardest to write and the 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 toughest to watch part of any movie I agreed usually, the setup is much
1: easier than the follow through but mm-hmm. this movie does a good job of balancing both yeah um and again a lot of personal moments in this scene that really allow us to understand the characters at a deeper level than i think you usually get to understand
0: uh antagonists in a teen movie Mm -hmm. i think yeah the writing is all there on paper this all works so well and then it's elevated by great direction great camera choices great costume design like it's all these other things that take it from a well-written scene to a fantastic sequence a very powerful sequence
1: yeah, you know, I, I can't say too much about Mark Waters and his films because looking through his filmography, I've barely seen any of them. I've only seen Freaky Friday, and I probably saw it
0: when it came out. I haven't seen it
1: since then. I have seen Freaky Friday a number of times. My sister used to watch that on repeat, so I have seen that a <laughs> lot. But uh, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, yeah yes, Freaky Friday's fine. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is just as good as Lindsay Lohan. She's in that great, one. yeah. Uh, but Mark Waters does not have a filmography that screams out at me. Uh, it's almost like every single movie he's made. I've, I know a lot about, saw trailers for, and chose not to watch. Yeah. But what he did with this movie was actually like, he definitely had some role to play in elevating this material to what it is because his focus on costume design and character development are things that a director is responsible for. And I think that these were some of the strongest components of the movie. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Very, very powerful stuff. So that's why we wanted to look at it. A lot of great examples of why the movie as a whole works are uh, are present in this. But uh with that, I think we can uh, we can move along to our shout outs so we can talk about one other thing, a piece that uh we think uh is worth noting that doesn't actually occur in our scene. Yeah, you we, wanna take the lead on this one? Yeah, I can. Um I had I had a number, like it's honestly very hard to choose, but Same. um The one that I think I want to mention is just like a a fun little point is that the bus, which as you know, because you have watched the movie, Regina George gets hit by a bus. It's a great jump scare in an otherwise not not terribly horrific movie. Uh, The bus is set up with the rule of three, right? So you have Katie at the very beginning of the movie um, when her parents let her go to high school and they're sort of saying goodbye to her. It's a big moment for them. She's not looking both ways when she's crossing the street. Because apparently wherever she was in Africa, there wasn't a lot of crosstown traffic. Which I think is a bit of a generalization about an entire continent. But maybe she was out in the sticks the whole time. Anyway, she almost gets hit by a bus. And then about 20 or 30 minutes later, she quotes the idea of something hitting you like a big yellow bus. uh, When she's saying, I don't normally have crushes or I haven't had a crush since I was a kid. But this one hit me like a big yellow bus and it's when you first see Aaron Samuels. And then the third time a bus occurs in the movie, it hits Regina George. And then, I mean, they also do a little tag with the with the grade nine plastics at yeah, the end. There's but... a real throwaway at the end. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. Uh, I just want to point that out. I think it's fun to notice those types of things. Um, and I am going to sneak in that I just really love when... Um... Jason gets hit with a boombox in the face too. That's my other shout out.
1: That was actually gonna be my first one because that scene makes me laugh probably the hardest when uh, Gretchen goes over and kicks the boombox yeah. off the stage.
0: I just I would have talked more about it if I could have found more because I think it's one of the few stunts in the movie. It is. You can see right? that it's like a
1: reverse shot or yeah. something. But in uh in one of the behind the scenes I actually saw them like not from the angle that they use in the movie, but they do have a wide shot of the mm-hmm. of the girls on stage where she kicks it off the stage at the actor and he like catches it.
0: Oh, wow, uh, so that a little insert to yeah, get the motion, yeah, going. so they they actually shot like a before you wide, and
1: she does kick the box <laughs> off the stage and In it lands, heels. yeah, yeah, like that they played that action. Yeah. I was really surprised because it looks like the final version of the movie looks like it's like a. A trick. A reverse, yeah.
0: Yeah. But I love it. So there's a little bonus shout-out for you from both of us. But uh, (laughs) what's your your main one?
1: Well, my shout-out is also a rule of three shout-out. I'm going to talk about the Animal Kingdom stuff Mm -hmm. because there's two really nice setups to this whole idea of the high school being an Animal Kingdom. Kind of going hand-in-hand with, like, Katie's... Past experiences in Africa and her real life experience she's bring to the high school environment. Initially, when she's at the mall, she's comparing the, the fountain. fountain to a watering hole, mm-hmm. um, where all the animals kind of get, ga- where animals gather and fight for territory, and the top animals reign supreme, kind of thing. Then, once again in the cafeteria after Aaron and uh, Regina get back together she has this fantasy of tackling Regina and like everyone in the cafeteria becomes all animalistic. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, in particular is really funny in this scene. He like, his mouth is like perfectly imitated by the monkey sounds that they throw in in the sound mix. And he's just got this hilarious look on his face. Mm. But then the third and final time we see it happen is a moment in reality. Yeah. When the burn book is obviously put into public, uh, display when regina photocopies it and throws all the papers throughout the school um and you actually have all these like girl on girl combat moments that kind of (laughs) are what all these animal kingdom references have led up to and i just thought it was really clever shooting it's really Mm -hmm. creative uh and it also tonally reflects kind of where katie is approaching the high school metaphor from and i thought that was really clever
0: Yeah, it, uh, like I think it, it's a great representation of her perspective and yeah. the re- the references that she would have. Uh, I think the Africa thing is a little obtuse in some other ways. It, it hasn't aged super well. Um, in this, this aspect I of think, it, I think it's okay, though. I think this works because I think it plays in the idea of this is how she's thinking about these interactions, but obviously they're way more subtle and nuanced than she gets at. And that's part of the reason why she makes the mistake. She does. Yeah. Right?
1: Everything's exaggerated in this metaphor mm-hmm. and that leads to a bit of misconstruing
0: yeah. what's important. Yeah. But human psychology, especially at the high school level is just slightly more complex than your standard animal psychology. So yeah, I think it's, you know, that's one of her, that's one of her issues that, that, uh, that she comes to reckon with by the end of the movie. But yeah, great shout-out. For recommendations, uh, something I wanted to recommend as a companion to this, maybe. I don't think it has to be an alternative or any way, but obviously Mean Girls focuses a lot on the social structure of interactions between girls in high school, and not so much the guys, to which point, we should mention, we never did the tagline, our main thing, which is... uh, Welcome to Girl World. Wow, Girl I can't World, believe you forgot yeah. with the tagline today. Yeah. And Girl World is capitalized. It's a it's a proper noun. It is it is a real place. It has real rules, real borders. Um, it's
1: not the worst tagline. That's pretty good. It it works. Yeah,
0: I don't mind it. It's uh, we've we've definitely done worse. We will mm-hmm. <laughs> will have always done worse taglines. We'll have the um, tagline ranking still at some yeah. point. We will we will get that going. But uh, sort of in that mind, uh, just for maybe a little bit of a journey into the male social setting, I'd recommend Everybody Wants Some by Richard Linklater from 2016. Super funny. It's about a uh, college baseball team and sort of the way that in building a winning team forces competition into almost every single interaction. I think it's one of the more honest and also not overly judgmental displays of toxic masculinity in a movie that I've ever seen. It's obviously from a male perspective. It's Richard Linklater. I believe he played college ball. So it's a lot of personal experience. And I think it's a fair assessment of it in terms of the ways that it's extremely exhausting and frustrating, I can say, as a guy who played very few sports. But in a lot of the overly male settings that I've been in, it it can it can really wear you down and you can see that in this movie but it also shows the ways in which these things make a winning team and can develop relationships and and why traditionally male settings enjoy that type of thing as well.
1: Yeah, my my only note on that movie that I really love by the way is that it takes place only over the course of a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um the weekend of like arriving at school before baseball even really starts, so i love the time frame of that movie i like yeah. the way it's condensed and that everything is just magnified by that
0: yeah and uh, of course you get to see wyatt russell one of the first times i saw him yeah he's fantastic please don't think less of him because of that marvel show that he did he's he's really good you should, you should check out this movie
1: <laughs> yeah support wyatt russell
0: yeah well uh, what do you in this week uh, I'm also going with a
1: spinoff of this genre and I'm going to recommend the movie Eighth Grade, which is a 2018 movie by Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. I thought this was one of the most impactful uh, perspectives of a young of a young person I've ever seen in the film. Uh, it follows a young girl into uh, the last week of eighth grade and mm-hmm. into like the beginning of the summer going into high school. Um, it's a. Uh, it's a rare movie that emotionally impacted me Mm -hmm. uh, and also like was very nostalgic for me. I recognize so many of the things that happened and like that the young girl in the movie goes through, the young protagonist goes through. Uh, And I just think that this is a brilliant take. That's pretty unique and very honest and refreshing Mm -hmm. uh, of this high school kind of, or of like the school film. It's not a high school film. So it's even more rare in the sense that it is a, an elementary school film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very fair look at a lot of things that are at play. There's a, there's more realism than Mean Girls, right? Less comedy, I'd say, or less comedy. Uh, not not as not as heightened, or 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 over the top, um, and a, a very honest look at, uh, at a lot of those kinds of pressures. And so well filmed. Yes, uh, Burnham's got a really good eye. Obviously, very clear from if anyone watched his his pandemic. Netflix special he's he knows what he's doing with cameras and in eighth grade he's actually got people using the cameras and moving them around so there's some great sequences yeah so those are our recommendations for the week
1: uh we really hope you enjoyed this pod on Mean Girls we know Mm -hmm. we had a great time talking about it and we look forward to our next school discussion as well
0: yeah yeah uh and in the meantime as always if you're on iTunes give us a review we'd really appreciate it five stars very much appreciate it and if you we would love to interact with you um so Please comment on, on posts on Instagram, send us DMs if you have thoughts about the episodes, if there's a different scene you want to talk about. If we get enough sort of, you know, back chat, then we'll start a section of future episodes where we look back on other episodes and just see one line reviews from people, scenes that people thought were worth discussing. Uh, and as always on Sundays, we do a weekly roundup uh recently i've started we want you to uh include like dm us a one-line review so then it's not us commenting on what you saw but it's what you thought we'd love to hear more of that but if you just want to chime in and say this is what i watched this week uh we'll uh we'll we'll share it around and, and get some recommendations going and we love hearing from all you guys so please yeah. do that but uh with that that's uh that's yet another episode uh tay you got any final advice from me and girls no (laughs) I think there's plenty of lessons there we'll let you uh, decide what one you're going to take away from it we'll catch you next time